Well, good morning, everybody. Man, the kids looked really excited to head downstairs this morning. If we, if we came into church as much excited as they were to go downstairs, I don't know what would happen. But it's all right. We are here. We are serving God. We are worshiping God this morning, and I'm so happy to have everybody here. Uh, some of us are tired. Some of us are a little bit under the weather, but God is good all the time. Um, and we are right now in the middle of the church calendar uh, in this time that we know as Lent. Uh, Lent is a 40-day time of fasting and prayer and almsgiving or giving to the poor that helps us to reflect on uh, the, the events leading up to the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And fasting is often represented during Lent not by giving up all food, although there are some people that do that. They give up all food for a period of time. But most of us might think of the fasting as far as giving up something. Has anybody ever given up something for Lent? I, I remember growing up, and, and that was the thing. What are you going to give up for Lent? And uh, I never understood it when I was a kid, but you had to give up something for Lent. So, you know, I gave up going to school for a while. It, that, that didn't work, apparently. But, uh, no, we're supposed, to, we're supposed to give up something and use that time, use that resource, use whatever that is to focus on God. And people uh, give up a lot of different things for Lent. Uh, the most common is uh, giving up sugar, uh, for Lent. So you coffee drinkers that use sugar, you know, you give up those sugar. Or people give up chocolate. People give up sugary drinks. Um, all of these things um, that people give up uh, right behind sugar. Um, I'm, I'm very hesitant to say this in front of uh, this particular congregation is coffee. <laughs> people give up coffee for Lent. Um, People give up alcoholic beverages for Lent. People try to quit smoking for Lent. People do all of these things, um, mostly just to say that they've given up something for Lent. But for some, you know, we don't fast necessarily food. We fast things like television. People will give up television. They will give up uh, social media. Um, I've known people that, you know, they sign off on Ash Wednesday and say, I'll see you after Easter, and they sign off from social media. Um, some people give up makeup. Some people give up hot showers. Uh, they'll only take cold showers during Lent. Uh, they give up shopping during Lent, except for like the necessities, right? So a lot of, lot of things. And, and if you're really, really super spiritual, you're giving up bacon for Lent. Um, <laughs> and I know it must be difficult for the congregation to hear that your pastor is not super spiritual because I'm... <laughs> have not given up bacon for Lent, but, um, but this idea behind fasting, giving up things is so that we might focus our attention on God and to mostly focus on the fact that He is the one that provides for us as Christians. And as we miss the things that we give up, we may focus more deeply on, on who God is. I know when, uh, when you're fasting meals, 
Um, it's suggested as you are spending that meal time instead of eating that you're studying scripture, that you're spending time in prayer. Maybe you're spending time building healthy Christian relationships with other people. Maybe they're fasting along with you. And you can get together and study scripture and you can pray and you can just talk about who God is. But that's the season that we're in right now. And Obviously, every Sunday we come together and we focus on who God is. We focus on worshiping Him. We focus on learning more about Him. Um, and this morning we are continuing uh, that uh, study. We're, we're talking through this uh, sermon series called God on Trial. And we're exploring the ways that God and God's children have been indicted throughout history. And particularly here in Western society, uh, a lot more so than in some other parts of the world. But last week we started looking at the time that Jesus spent in the wilderness. So we, we, we've gotten into the Lent uh, time and we're focusing a lot now on Jesus. And right before Jesus entered the public ministry, after he was baptized by John the Baptist, the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And while he was there, Satan indicted him three times with this phrase. The phrase is, if you are the Son of God. And last week we looked at Luke chapter 4. We read this encounter. And, and we read that Jesus was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he ate nothing during those days. And we saw Satan's temptation that Jesus should turn a stone into bread to feed himself, to feed his hunger. And we saw Jesus turn to Scripture to defend himself against this temptation because Satan was asking Jesus to rely on himself instead of relying on the Father. And I think a lot of times we, and I know I personally, tend to depend on myself more than I depend on the Father. And I forget sometimes that God is the provider of everything. So Jesus uses this scripture to say, no, God is my provider and he will feed me. But there's also something else kind of going on here too. Satan was asking Jesus to use God's own creation in order to fulfill his selfish purposes. And I know that doesn't make sense, but in the Bible, in John chapter 1, we read that Jesus was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And if we look at this closely, Jesus made that stone. Jesus made that stone. So if Jesus made it, why, why wouldn't he change it? Right? It's his. It belongs to him. But God, through Jesus, created all things with a purpose. That stone was created for a purpose. Now, we don't know what the purpose of stones is. Right? We know that some of them are pretty and some of them we use in our driveways and some of them we use to build things. There are all kinds of purposes, but one thing that the purpose of that stone was not was to feed somebody, let alone feed Jesus. And what Satan was asking Jesus to do was change the purpose of creation 
for his own selfish reasons. And that's just not how God works. Satan knows that. He knows that's not how God works. And to get Jesus to turn that stone into bread would be to say that God's purpose for that creation was wrong. That's what we're looking at here. This, we, we read this story over and over again, and I know I've read it dozens of times, but when we start digging deeper and start to understand exactly kind of the, the, the psychological things going on with Satan and the things he's trying to get Jesus to do, it gets so much deeper and so much more meaningful for us today. Because the world today tries to convince us that God's creation is wrong, don't they? And we talked a couple of weeks ago about how humanity has taken to calling sin good and calling good sin. And we talked about how the world wants to believe that God made people wrong, that he put them in the wrong kind of body. We've talked about all of those things, and this is what's happening here with Jesus. The creation is wrong, is what Satan is saying. And more and more often, Christians are believing this lie that creation is wrong. And we know that Jesus answered this, uh, Satan in this situation, and he quoted Deuteronomy chapter 8, and he said that man does not live by bread alone. Man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And we see Jesus turn the focus back to God. He turns the focus back to God's creation. So when we want to know what purpose there is in creation, whatever we're looking at, whether we're looking at stones or whether we're looking at people, we can see it in God's Word. God created bread to feed people. He didn't create stones. And Jesus successfully resisted this temptation, but Satan wasn't finished. We read in Luke chapter 4, verses 5 to 7, the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And he said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I give it to whom I will. And then here's the catch. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And again, we read this passage and it seems like such a simple thing for Jesus to resist. I mean, Satan is trying to tempt Jesus with what we think is an obvious lie, right? Satan is saying that he's been given authority over all the kingdoms of the world. And we know that that's not true, right? Because Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world, and those who dwell therein. Right? This is an easy one, Jesus. You don't even have to fight it. You're never going to fall for that temptation. Except we read in Luke chapter 4 that Jesus was being tempted by Satan. And this is one of the three temptations out of 40 whole days that the author focuses on. 
there must be something more to it. There must be something more than just these, these, these ideas that we have developed over years and years of just reading and rereading this passage. And it is a temptation, but we have to go back to the place that we've gone to so many times before to understand what this particular temptation is. We've got to go back to creation. We've got to go back to the Garden of Eden. When God created humans, remember that He gave humans authority over everything? In Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens. We know that the earth is the Lord and the fullness thereof, the world and all that is within. But when God created humans, He transferred His authority to them. He said, you take care of the garden and you hold dominion over the animals and you be fruitful and you multiply and you subdue the earth. That's a lot of authority for God to give humans. But He did. He gave these things to us. The earth still belongs to God. But just like a really, really good manager or CEO, He is trusting His people. He is giving His people the authority to make decisions on His behalf in order for the world to work rightly. And I know some of you, a couple of you are looking at me skeptically, I know. But when we think about this idea of our authority, and when we think about that we, we were in charge of everything, and then we abdicated our authority. We gave it up. We turned it over to Satan once we ate the fruit that we weren't supposed to eat. Romans chapter 1, verses 23 to 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their heart to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And again, there's some things that I think we forget, or maybe some things that we never knew in the first place. Number one, Satan is a created creature. He was created by God. He was one of the angels before he rebelled against God and was kicked out of heaven along with all of his rebel friend angels like a third of the angels got kicked out of heaven because they rebelled against God. And when God created the heavens and the earth, Satan manifested himself as one of God's earthly creations. He manifested himself as a serpent. And the serpent tempted Eve to disobey God, to say, God doesn't know what he's talking about. You have all of this authority, but God doesn't want to let you have it all. 
even though he knows you can. All you've got to do is eat this fruit and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. That was the temptation in the garden. And that's what Eve did. She take she took the fruit and she ate it. And then she took it to her husband, Adam, and he ate it. And that is where sin was born. And this Romans passage says that God gave unrighteous humanity up to sin. And by saying that, what he really is saying is God gave us up to Satan. Because we worshipped the creature. We believed the creature rather than the Creator. I mean, have you ever thought about that? Before you came to faith in Jesus Christ, before you accepted His gift of salvation through His death and resurrection, whether you realized it or not, whether you knew it or not, whether you even thought about it or not, you worshipped Satan. Most of us don't know it because Satan is really good at hiding that fact. And he hides it behind really, really intricate fantasies. Fantasies like, you should live your truth. As if truth doesn't actually exist except in ourselves. He hides it in fantasies like, if it feels good to you, you should do it. You should do it. You got to look out for yourself because nobody else is going to look out for you. You're the one that's responsible for your happiness and you should go out and you should pursue your happiness, finding your truth. All of these things are just fantasies. They are lies that keep us worshiping the, cre the creature, worshiping ourselves, and by extension, worshiping Satan. This is what Jesus is facing. Jesus is, or Satan is trying to convince Jesus to accept this lie. That all you have to do is worship me and I will give you everything. When we do that, when we worship the creature rather than the Creator, when we worship ourselves, we are putting ourselves on the thrones of our heart. You didn't know you had a throne on your heart, did you? It's there. We are putting ourselves there, and we're letting Satan sit right next to us. But just because Satan is working overtime to get himself on the throne of our lives, that doesn't mean that we're absolved of responsibility either. We are making those choices. God has given us free will. We could decide to follow God. We could decide that we are going to accept Christ's salvation. But we don't. We continue to worship the creature. 
And God tells us in Romans chapter uh, 1, verses 19 to 21, for what can be known about God is plain to them, those who don't know God. What can be known is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. And in verses 28 to 32, it continues. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. Foolish, faithless, heartless, Ruthless, though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. I'm not going to reread that list. It's a long list. But let's take a look at this temptation that Satan is presenting before Jesus. And I bet you you're going to be able to see a lot of these things on that list. He tempted Jesus with all of these things. I mean, can you imagine Jesus being tempted to murder someone? That seems like an easy one, right? I'm not even tempted to murder anybody. Maim, break an arm, punch him in the head. Yeah, I'm tempted to do those things, but I would never kill anybody. Right? But in this temptation of Satan, if we read it closely, Satan is tempting Jesus to be all of the things that God is against in Romans chapter 1. So this first part of the temptation, he took him up, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, said to him, to you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me and I will give it to whom I will. Any lovers of history in here? Have any his history buffs? No, really? Just me? Oh, that's so sad. Read history. I'm telling you, I love reading and studying history. I like reading about the empires of the world, especially the ancient world, the Greek and the Roman empires. But I love just reading history because first, it helps me to understand some of the things maybe that we should be doing differently as a society, as a world. But I just, I, I just I love reading these things, and especially about these empires. And did you know that there is something that is common about every empire that has ever existed on earth? Every empire that has ever existed was born out of envy and murder and strife and deceit and maliciousness. Remember that list we just read? Every 
empire, the leaders of these empires saw something that they wanted. These people that live over here, they have something that is valuable and we want it. They became envious of it. And eventually they killed for it. And then they just kept killing for all of these things. They were heartless and ruthless in their pursuits. And sometimes they got what they wanted, not necessarily out of violence, out of like taking their armies and just destroying everything in their path. Sometimes they were really subtle about it. Sometimes instead of trying to beat the, whoever they were from the outside, they would try to do it from the inside. And they would sow the seeds of strife. And they would sow the seeds of doubt in the government or the leaders, right? And they'd start telling lies, deceit about what's going on in their areas and that the leaders don't have their best interests at heart. And sometimes those people would overthrow their own leaders. And then they'd go to the, the empire and say, here you go. We're yours. One of the things on that list was that people were the inventors of evil. You know empires invent evil? And if you don't believe me, ask J. Robert Oppenheimer. He was the leader of the team that invented the hydrogen bomb that was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Uh, yeah, I can say that. Nagasaki during World War II. He is actually quoted as saying that the bomb that he and his team invented was an evil thing. That it only had one purpose, and that was murder. It was an evil thing. So when we read Romans chapter 1, and we read Luke chapter 4, and we put them together, these are some huge temptations that Satan is throwing Jesus' way. All for the tiny little paltry price of worshiping Satan instead of worshiping God. He was also encouraging Jesus to be haughty. Be insolent. Look at me. I now have control over all the kingdoms of the world. There's a lot going on in that temptation. You ever thought about times when Satan has tempted you like this? Well, he probably isn't tempting you with all the kingdoms of the world. I wouldn't want all the kingdoms of the world. That's just too much trouble for me. That's too much to keep track of. But I'll tell you what, he could tempt me to be the king over my own little kingdom of the world, my own little area of the world. Students, how often have you been tempted to cheat? To cheat on a test, to cheat on a research paper, because you want that scholarship. You've got to have that scholarship so that you can go to college. Or... You decide that you're going to cheat in sports so that you can get that, that athletic scholarship to go to college. 
Ever been tempted like that? You ever been an employee and have been tempted to practice maliciousness and deceit so that you can get the promotion over the other guy? Or the other girl? How often do business owners fall to the temptation of taking shortcuts to act maliciously and foolishly because they have to crush the competition at all costs and it doesn't matter what else happens. We gotta be number one, we gotta be the best. We've gotta sell more than anybody else. We gotta corner the market. And this happens to Christian business owners and Christian students and Christian employees too. If we're being honest with ourselves. How often do these things happen? These temptations. And they're so subtle. They creep up so quietly. Well, Satan just wants what's best for you. He just wants you to be happy. And we fall for it. But it's not how it ought to be. And Jesus' reply to Satan is very straightforward. And again, it's straight out of Scripture. Jesus says, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and Him only will you serve. And that's right out of book Deuteronomy again. Last week it was Deuteronomy 8. This week is Deuteronomy 6. It is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve, and by His name you shall swear. And when this word fear comes up, don't think of it as being this kind of like knock-kneed, frightened kind of thing. When we're talking about fear here in the Hebrew, it means to have reverent awe for. It is a deserving thing that God should be treated with reverent awe. That's how we're supposed to worship Him. And we don't even get that right. I think sometimes about how often I come to church on a Sunday morning and I'm so involved with all of the things that are going on and all of the people that I have to talk to and all of the stuff and I get the mail and I have to go and do this that when I actually finally come in to be where I'm supposed to be worshiping God, all I'm doing is thinking about other things. That's not how it ought to be. I hate to ask this, but how many of you are sitting there thinking about all of the things that are coming up this afternoon and not thinking about worshiping God with reverent awe. This is how Satan infiltrates the church. This is how Satan gets us to turn our backs as individuals and as congregations on God. Oh, I got to remember to stop at Giant because we're going to be going and doing this thing. I got to go get wings. Oh, I've got this thing coming up tomorrow at work. I've got to go home. I've got to get ready for it. I wish he'd just shut up and stop his sermon already. It's okay. But for the hour and a half that we're here, at least for that 90 minutes, should we not be in reverent awe of our Creator? 
All of us. I'm, I'm including myself. Should we not be in reverent awe of the Creator? Because if we're not, we're worshiping ourselves. And by extension, we're worshiping Satan. We worry so much about the things that we have to do and forget that God gives us the power to do all things. And He especially gives us the power to do all things when we obey His will. And we're in this time leading up to the remembrance of Christ's death and resurrection, this season of Lent. And I want, to, I want to encourage all of us, me too, to step out of ourselves. I want to encourage all of us to stand up and walk away from that throne and let God sit there where He should be. This is not an easy thing to do. Especially when we start believing the subtle lies of Satan that things are important. Nothing is more important than our relationship with God the Father. Let us stand in awe of the Father who created us, who provides for us, and who loves us so much that He sent his only son to die so that we don't have to, so that we can live forever with the Father. Let us bring God back into focus and start forgetting about ourselves. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his teaching. We thank you for his healing. We thank you for his example. And we thank you for his willingness to be obedient to you in all things, to resist all of the temptations of Satan on our behalf, so that when He sits next to you on His throne and He sees us struggling with sin, that He can intercede for us, that you can tell Him. Being human is not easy when the enemy is Satan and he is so good. He is so good at lying to us. Father, open our hearts and our minds, open our eyes to recognize the lies. Open our hearts and our minds and our eyes to see that we are sitting on our own throne and give us the strength, the courage, and the humility to stand up to abdicate that throne and to give it to you 
the rightful king of us. And we thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. During our opening worship today, Renee invited us, if we have not yet known Jesus Christ, to come forward and to accept him as our Lord and Savior. I want to make the same invitation to you. I'll be up here in the front for a few minutes after the service. If you'd like to come and even just talk about the grace of God, the love of God, and God's sacrifice of His Son, I am just looking forward to speaking with you. In the meantime, stand up, abdicate that throne, and then bow down and worship the God who will sit on it. God bless you this week.